morning, please. Galatians chapter 4, and I wonder, I'll take a quick uh, survey here. How many of you enjoy Christmas shopping? Let me see your hands. If you enjoy Christmas shopping. Oh, not very many. Just a few. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you prefer online shopping? You prefer to shop online? Okay, I see that. How many of you like going to the actual store shopping? Let me see your hand. How many don't want to go to any shopping anything? Let me see your hands. All right, all over. All right, we've got a mixture here today. One of the fun things that we enjoy to do, Graham and I especially, when we find ourselves at a big mall, if we go to Charlotte or we're traveling or we're in a city, and we go to a big mall or a large department store, uh, is we like to ride the escalator over and over again. <laughs> we go up, and we'll go around, and go down, and we'll go up. Listen, y'all can laugh. That's good, clean fun. It's cheaper than Disney, y'all. I mean, you got to take advantage of these things. But we like to ride the escalator. And I recently read about a, a little boy who was standing at the end of an escalator, and a sales lady saw him, and she was concerned about him. And uh, she looked at this little boy, you know, he's there at the end of the escalator, and says, Son, are you lost? Are you lost? He replied, he said, No, ma'am, I'm waiting for my chewing gum to come back down. <laughs> you know, some things are worth waiting for. I mean, you've got, you've got to wait. But sometimes it's hard to wait, is it not? And I think one of the hardest things to wait for, especially for children, is it's really hard for them to wait for Christmas. I mean, boys and girls, wouldn't you agree? It just seems like it's never going to come. You wait and you wait and you finally make it through school and then the next thing you know, you're on Christmas break and still it's day after day and night after night and you're waiting for Christmas to come. Well, what, what, what must it have been like uh, for those who are waiting for the very first Christmas? Think about that for a little bit. Uh, those who are waiting the arrival of the Messiah, the promised one, um, you know, in your Bible, it may only be one page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. It may not even be a page. It may just you know, go from one to the next. But in reality, if you have a page between the Old Testament and the New Testament, do you realize that that page actually represents 400 years? 400 years separating the Old Testament and the New Testament. And beloved, there were 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. Think about that. Uh, John MacArthur said it this way, God's people had not seen or heard from an angel in more than 400 years. Uh, during that time, there had been no revelation from the Lord, no miracle, and certainly no series of miracles. The Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah since Moses first prophesied that a great prophet would come in Deuteronomy 18.15, and they were awaiting eagerly a deliverer, and they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and particularly now, uh, as they lived under Roman oppression, the entire nation was longing for his coming, and he was the great hope of all the ages, and the destiny of Israel was bound up in his coming, and he was their deliverer, their Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, but yet 400 silent years, and then we have God sending his angel, Gabriel, to the priest Zacharias and to a virgin named Mary. And we know he also sent an angel in a dream to a young man named Joseph. And so you have 400 years of waiting, 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 waiting. And then we read words like this in the New Testament in Matthew 1.21. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save 
his people from their sin. We continue reading to get to the Gospel of Luke after all this time of waiting. And we read in Luke 1, 30-33, Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the, uh, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there shall be no end. The end had come for those days of waiting. Jesus is born and it's Christmas time. Now I want to think with you a little bit uh, about that today. We're going to do it from a kind of an unusual passage perhaps when you think about Christmas. You remember if you were here last week we had Christmas in Corinthians. And today we're going to have Christmas in Galatians. And you found by now, I'm sure, your place in Galatians chapter 4. And talking about time and talking about waiting for Christmas and waiting for good things, I want you to notice what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We have Christmas here in Galatians. And it says in your Bible, it says in Galatians 4, 4, and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I like the way the uh, NLT translated this verse. It said that when the right time came, when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Beloved, I don't know about you, but when you think about the truth that's presented in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it should tickle you. It should thrill your soul. Now that little passage is relatively short. Just two verses that we're considering today. But those two verses are loaded with magnificent truth. In fact, I'm afraid we'll run out of time uh, before we get through a lot of this today. And we're just going to scratch the surface because, you know, the Word of God is inexhaustible. It's the inspired, authoritative and, and, uh, Word of God. It's infallible. But let's just look and spend a few minutes thinking about the truth in Galatians 4, 4 and 5 at this Christmas time. And I want you to think about when it talks about Christmas there, I want you to notice that it talks about the time was right. The time was right. It says in verse 4 of our passage, But when the fullness of the time had come, when the right time came, God sent Jesus. Have you ever thought about why God sent Jesus at the time that He did? I mean, He could have come much earlier in the history of our world. Uh, he could have come before the end of Genesis, or maybe in Exodus, or Leviticus, or Numbers, or Deuteronomy, or, or maybe get down to the time of the uh, Psalms and Proverbs, and well, maybe Ecclesiastes, or what, Song of Solomon, or, or get down to the prophets, or the major prophets, or the minor. Why did God wait and send the Lord Jesus when He did? You, you know, nothing is haphazard as far as God's concerned, right? You understand, you didn't just draw a number out of a hat and say, well, you know, here's the year that I'm going to send the Lord Jesus. No, the Bible itself is the revelation of, of God's redemptive plan. Uh, to put it another way, God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. I, I love the way Paul Tripp said, he said, history marks toward his birth. History marks toward his birth. You, you remember he's first mentioned in the book of Genesis. After man's sin and, and ate of the forbidden fruit and, and he's there in 
God comes to him and, and clothes him in those skins, which, of course, the slang of an animal pictures the Lord Jesus. And, and we know he talks about that uh, there's going to be a deliverer. There's going to be one who will crush the serpent's head by bruising his own heel. He's talked about in Genesis. The prophets talk, speak of him. In fact, we find the scripture says that his coming was planned even before God created the world. Because the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And you want to boggle your mind? Think about that. God already knew what we were going to do in sinning. And it was going to cost him his son before he ever made us. And created us. And created the world. Because God knows all things. But then the question is, why did he send Jesus at this particular time in history? Well, we know the obvious answer, the easiest answer is this. It was God's sovereign, wise, perfect timing. It was his perfect plan. Now, it may not appear so to you and me many times, but God is never late and he's never early. He's always right on time. His time is always perfect. And so when it comes to the sending of a son, it is the perfect time, the right time, when the fullness of time. Well, we can't know all of the reasons behind the choice of his uh, timing and location of the details. It's interesting to note what was going on in our world, in the world, when Jesus stepped into flesh, stepped into humanity. As I read this past week and as I studied, a lot of interesting things surfaced that I want to share with you very quickly. Now, you know that Jesus was born during the Roman Empire. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but that, uh, that brought about many uh, advantageous things as far as the spread of the gospel is concerned. Now, these aren't original with me, but let me just run through some of these things with you. You might want to jot them down. Uh, think about the fact that there is the time of peace. There's Roman peace. Uh, again, these are not original with me, but listen. At the time of Christ's birth, the civilized world of that day was united politically as it, as it had not been for many centuries before. Caesar Augustus, you ever heard of him? In fact, we read about him in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. He's credited by historians as having established what has uh, come to be known as the Pax Romana or the Roman Peace. In other words, shortly before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a tranquility in the world which was an obvious preparation for the coming of Jesus and the expansion of the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have this whole idea of the peaceful times in which he stepped into uh, history. And because he was born into the Roman uh, time of the world, you have the system of roads. You ever heard the saying that all roads lead to Rome? Well, at one time, that was pretty much the truth. They were masters at road building. And when it came time for people like the Apostle Paul and other missionaries to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, do you know how they got to many of those places? On those Roman roads. You all know the Roman road, don't you? A lot of times we use the Romans road through the book of Romans to, to share the gospel. But these are literal roads that were used in the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, it's interesting because we said all history marks toward his birth. Because at this time there was also a common language. But it, the, what's the Romans? The Romans, their language was Latin. The language that united the kingdom was Greek. 
And this came about as uh, Alexander the Great and his descendants. And, and, and as one wrote, wherever Greek traders went, their language went with them. When Paul went from place to place in the empire, he didn't have to learn hundreds of different dialects that were current. All he had to know was Greek. And so you have this common language that can share the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have a spiritual vacuum. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, uh, the religions of the ancient world had kind of run their course. Billy Graham said it this way. By then, when Jesus came, by then the human race had tried all kinds of religions and philosophies, but none has satisfied the deepest longings of the human heart or taken away the burden of guilt. Many people were open, now open to Jesus' message of hope and new life. Beloved, do you see that God is in complete and total control? He's the sovereign Lord. He's in control of all things. History really is his story. And history was marching toward the birth. And all these things were in place. And at the perfect time, at the right time, Jesus came. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. Put it another way, as the verse says, in the fullness of time, at the right time, the Son was sent. It says there in that verse, you're still in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Now that word, uh, that phrase, sent forth, is very interesting. Uh, you remember that our New Testament uh, was written originally in Greek. And we have an English translation. And according to what I studied, that phrase, sent forth, literally means to be sent forth with a commission. A commission, think about it. He sent forth His Son. Jesus came on a divine rescue mission. Now, there's so much in this verse that we could just camp out here. We could speak probably several weeks looking at different themes. But I want you to look at some of the high points. It says that God sent forth His Son. You realize, beloved, that that's deity. God sent forth His Son. I told you, I think it was last week, I told you many times before, don't ever get in your mind this thought that Jesus began at Bethlehem. No, 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 no. Jesus is God. He's always been. He'll always be. He's eternal. At Bethlehem, perfect God, Jesus, stepped into flesh and became the perfect God-man. And we know that he still bears that flesh. In fact, the Bible says he still bears in his body the marks that he bore upon the cross for you and for me. And I believe we'll see those when we see him and we'll fall before him and worship him. But God sent forth his son, that's deity. And then what does it say next? It says that he was what? Born of a woman. That's humanity. And it's interesting, being born of a woman reminds us of what? The virgin birth. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And so we have deity and humanity joined together. And then it says, not only was he uh, sent forth as, uh, as his son, and he was born of a woman, then what does it say? He was born what? Under the law. And that's the idea. He was born into the Jewish race. He was born into the Jewish faith. And he was born under the law. That is, he was subject to the law. He was under the law. Um, and by the way, he kept it perfectly. He's the only one who ever did. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said these words, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I told you, we have Christmas in Galatians. Right here. In fact, in this first verse, we're studying Galatians chapter 4 here. Um, 
verses 4 and 5, we have the advent. We have the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the humanity of Jesus Christ. We have the law which necessitated that he came to rescue us from the law. This brings us to our next point. So we know that the time was right, the sun was sent, and now the door is open. The door is open. So, preacher, where's that at? Well, it brings us to verse 5. And it deals with the why of his coming. Why did he come? Well, verse 5 tells us, doesn't it? Verse 4 tells us who it was that came, but look at verse 5. Here's why he came. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so, in other words, the son was sent to save us. You're familiar with this verse, aren't you? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the beloved, the problem was not with the law. The law is perfect. It's perfect. The problem is not with the law, the problem is with us. We broke the law, we cannot keep the law. And the law, as God's perfect standard, condemns us. And the Bible says it's like a school teacher or a tutor. It shows us just how far we fall short. And how sinful we are. And how guilty we are. And so the problem's not with the law and the, and the standard. The problem's with us. But Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says it this way. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Romans 7, 7. And so the law kind of shows us just how far we fall short. And how guilty we are. And so we realize that and our eyes are open and say, Well, we are guilty and we have sinned and, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so as a guilty sinner, as a lawbreaker, what can I do? Nothing. Left to myself, I'm hopeless and I'm helpless and I'm condemned. And all of us are. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. That's what it says there in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. He came to redeem us. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. He came to redeem those who are under the law. Wearsley said that word redeem means to be set free by paying a price. He said that back in that day a man could purchase a slave in any Roman city. And there were about 60 million slaves uh, in the empire. And you could purchase a, a slave in, in any Roman city either to keep the slave for yourself or set him free. And what did Jesus do? He purchased us and he set us free. He paid the price for us on the cross. He paid for our pardon on the cross. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And I encourage you to jot these references down and look them up later. But this is a precious passage, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do... For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, He was not sinful, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, we were in bondage 
We have failed. We are lawbreakers. We are guilty. We are condemned. We're undone. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. There's nothing we can do. And God says, I love you so much, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send my precious son. I'm going to put him in flesh. He's going to be your substitute. He's going to die in your place. He's going to take your sin upon himself. But beloved, this verse goes further. Don't close it up yet. Because it says he not only redeems us and sets us free from the bondage of sin, but did you notice the next part of verse 5? You're still in Galatians 4, verse 5. That we might receive adoption as sons. And it's implied daughters. Now it's one thing to redeem somebody. You're a slave and I'm going to pay to set you free. And so I pay and I say, have a great life. But it's something else for me to say, I'm going to pay to set you free. And then I'm going to adopt you into my family. But that's what God did with us. I understand in Roman culture, a wealthy, childless man could take, any, take a slave to youth and make that slave his child and heir. The adopted person was no longer a slave. He became a full heir to his new family, guaranteed all legal rights to his father's property. He was not a second-class son. He was equal to all other sons, biological or adopted in the father's family. That person's origin or past was no longer a factor in his legal standing. So it wasn't like you're a second-class child. It's not like you had some of the privileges. You were made just like the rest of the family. Now think of this. God forgave us through Christ, but He also made us a child of God. He redeemed us and He adopted us. And that's why I say, beloved, the door is open. The door is open this morning to find forgiveness from your sin and to be not only forgiven, but to be adopted into the family of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him should not perish, but have everlasting life to be forgiven to be set free, to be adopted into the family. How? Through repentance and faith. Turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. The door is open today. Years and years ago, W.A. Criswell told the following story um, in one of his sermons. Um, he said there was a, a ragged little newsboy who was walking down the street he was an orphan, and um, he was carrying his papers along as he went. And in that big city where this little ragged orphan newsboy lived, he passed by a beautiful mansion. And the lawn was so neatly kept, and the fountains were playing. And on that beautiful Lord's Day, Sunday morning, the mansion looked so, so inviting, this little boy who was an orphan. And the little boy, he stood there and he was looking at the yard and he was looking at the home and all of a sudden he found himself walking into it. And then he reached the porch. Then he reached the door. And before he even thought or realized really what was happening, he was ringing the doorbell. And I want you to picture that, this beautiful palatial mansion and this little ragged, probably dirty little paper boy 
who didn't have a home. And on that particular Sunday morning, the big businessman, Mr. Lowry, came and opened the door and, and looked out and saw this little ragged newsboy. And the little fellow was standing there in front of the big man, and really the boy was astonished at what he had done. Uh, he was surprised at his own audacity. Here he was standing before this man, before this home, and, and, he, and not knowing what to do, and not knowing what to say, and, and not planning it, not even thinking about it. He just blurted out these words, Mr., do you have a little boy? Do you have a little boy? Mr. Lowry, that big businessman, looked at the child and kind of sadly said, No, son, Mrs. Lowry and I do not have any children. We don't have a little boy. The little fellow looked up at him and said, Oh, oh I, I give everything I have. Everything if I could be your little boy. If I could play on this beautiful lawn. And there wouldn't be anybody to make me get off or, or drive me away. I'd give everything if I could be your little boy. And beloved, in, in one of those turns, the big man, Mr. Lowry, turned and, and called upstairs for his wife. and said, Mrs. Lowry, come here. And the queenly woman, you could imagine, I'm sure she was dressed so lovely, she walked down that graceful stairway and she stood by her husband and said, he said to her, dear, would you like to have a little boy? She said, oh. Oh, husband, oh. And the father, by adoption, turned to the lad and said, Sonny, boy, come here, come here. And that little boy, he walked into that palatial home. And the first thing he did, as he promised, is he reached in his pocket and he pulled out 13 cents. And he held them up to that man and said, Sir, this is all that I have. Remember he said he'd give everything he had to be the son of of that man. And there he was, this little hand, 13 cents. And beloved, you realize we're just like that when we offer to God what little we have and we are and say, you know, here, here's what we have for our salvation. Listen, it's nothing. We don't have anything to offer. The hymn writer said it how nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross well, the big man took the little boy's hand and he closed it around those 13 pennies and he said, Son, you keep them. I have enough. I have more than enough for us both. And he took it, this little boy into his home and he adopted him and he became Mr. Lowry's son. And W.A. Criswell many years ago said that's exactly what God has done for us. We were waste and poor and ragged and outcast. And into the glorious home of our Heavenly Father, God has invited us to come and has bestowed upon us the privilege of sonship. He adopted us into His family of heaven. And now the Bible says we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, our elder brother. He said, that Wherefore thou art no more a doulos, a slave, you are no more a servant. You are no more than a hireling, but you're a son. You're a daughter, an adopted child. And as so, you're an heir of God through Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, beloved, hallelujah, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. 
But when the right time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. The door is open. The Savior is waiting. Will you come to Him and find forgiveness and adoption through Jesus Christ? Father, we are amazed at Your grace. We're amazed to consider this morning that You made us in the first place knowing the great cost to Yourself. It would cost you your son to redeem us. We're amazed that Jesus came and willingly, voluntarily offered his life for us to forgive us and took our sin upon himself. We're amazed that there is today a free gift of forgiveness and redemption. But then, Lord, on top of that, you not only set us free, You received us as your own children. Thank you, Lord. Help us to understand what that means and all that we have and all that we are in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray today that those of us who know you would just turn our hearts and worship and really ponder the truth that we've been exposed to this morning. And as we ponder, may we praise. But Lord, I'm really concerned about those who may be here today who are still in bondage, who are still under the law, who are still under condemnation. And I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would show them right now their need of Christ and lovingly bring them to faith in Christ. That they might receive the greatest gift, the indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Lord, bless this invitation, I pray, and may your will be accomplished. And we give you glory for what you're doing and what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is number 93. It came upon a midnight clear. This altar, as always, is open today. And you want to just come and pray. If you know Christ, you want to come today and praise Him, or you have a burden or a need, you'd like to come. We would invite you to do so. While we're singing, I'll be down here in the middle. And you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk with you. And others will be glad to as well. So, what happened if I walked down the aisle today, preacher? What would happen? I'd welcome you and take a Bible and share Christ with you. Help you to understand. Lead you to the cross. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to call you out. We're not here to put you on the spot. We would just like to lovingly help you if we can. So maybe you come today and the Lord's working on your heart. You come and you place your faith in Christ. We'd love to help you do that. While we're singing, I'll be down here at the front. We'd love to assist you. The altar is open. Whosoever will may come. Let's stand together and sing 93. It came upon a midnight clear. Mm-hmm.